Thank you for joining us today. This is Clint Byers, lead pastor of Forward Church. I pray this message blesses and encourages you. I hope it inspires transformative grace in your heart and establishes you even deeper in your new covenant identity in Christ. Now take a deep breath, become aware of God's spirit within you, and enjoy the message. Show Brian a little bit of love as he makes his way up here. Turn the turn these side lights. Turn the side lights on there if you would, please. Man, all right, so here's the deal. This is a receptive crowd. I want you to talk to us like you're talking to people who are getting equipped to go out and actually be the hands and feet of Jesus and expect this stuff to be working in our lives. Amen. Sounds good to me. Appreciate you, man. Yeah, I, 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 we really enjoy Brian. They're easy to hang out with, Brian and Jennifer. I'm not going to ask you to go through all of your experience and all the things that you've done, but maybe for two or three minutes, and you probably already had this plan, just kind of walk through. You preached a ton in India. You preached mm -hmm. a ton in uh, Dominican Republic, all these different countries. You've yeah. seen miracles by the thousands, thousands uh, uh, receive salvation in these giant 10, 15,000 person meetings that you've seen overseas. Yeah. How many of you want to go experience that kind of stuff? Yeah. He's going to give us some information on how to participate with that. Yeah. So a little bit of background and then do your thing. Show Amen. him some love one more time. All right. Thanks, Thanks for coming, man. Praise God. Well, it's good to be here with you guys this morning. Um, before I share with that, I'll have my beautiful wife, Jennifer, stand up, wave everybody. She loves it when I do this. It's her favorite part of the meeting. But um, yeah, so for 20, see, may will be 25 years of doing this and uh the first 10 years of ministry from around 2000, well, actually it started in 1999, from 2000 to 2010 in India, we saw uh, over 2 million people come to Christ and plant 600 churches and villages where there was no gospel work. And so um, doing crusades throughout India, uh, some of those crusades got up to 140, 150,000 people. Uh, it's a crazy thing to be in a place where you get 100,000 people who've never heard the name of Jesus one time. And so, but... Um, Pakistan, doing crusades in Pakistan, our last crusade in Pakistan, I think we saw uh, 78,000 Muslims make a decision to receive Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. That's good. Amen. And uh, so, but our passion is much as we love doing the crusades, our passion as evangelists is to equip you as Ephesians chapter 4, 11 tells us we're supposed to be doing. Amen. And so we're going to do that this morning. We're going to spend some time encouraging you. We're going to spend some time getting your faith and expectation up and we're going to get miracles this morning. Amen. 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 You know, one of the things that uh, I like that song, Waymaker, it's a beautiful song, and, and it's one of my favorite songs, But in, and I understand what it's saying, and I believe it wholeheartedly, but uh, one of the lines in there, even when he's not, not, even when we don't see it, he's still working, and how many of you guys know that's true? Yeah. Amen. Even when we don't feel it, he's still working, and, and I believe that wholeheartedly, but I believe that uh, on the other side of that too, we ought to have an expectancy to see some things. Amen. We ought to have an expectancy to feel some things, that God is not a distant God that He is with us, amen, and He is in the now. God is in the now, miracles are in the now, and this morning He is here by His Spirit to show you exactly who He is, amen. We know it through the Word of God, but He also wants you to know it through demonstration, amen. And so this morning, I am confident that whatever you came in this one morning with, that you can leave without it, uh, and you can experience it, you can see it, you can feel it, and this morning, whatever it is that you came to believe in God for, leave without it. If you didn't come believe in God for something, well, start believing for something this morning, amen. Amen. You guys with me this morning? All right. So let's just, let's get to business. Amen. Let's pray real quick. Father, in Jesus name, we just thank you for your goodness, Lord. And Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come and lift up your son, Jesus. 
And Father, we know that you are with us where the gospel is preached, Father, that you are always present. And Father, we declare this morning that tumors and cancers leave, that ears begin to hear, that eyes begin to see, Father. Lord, we thank you that chronic and terminal diseases leave, Father, that autoimmune diseases leave. Father, we just declare this morning that every need that is in this place does not leave in the bodies of those who are attending or those who are listening online. And Father, we just thank you that you're a good God, that you're a faithful God. And Father, that we can have confidence in your character, in your integrity, because you are who you say you are. And Father, we give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I guess if I had a title for my message this morning, it would be, I've been doing a lot of series, uh, uh, messages on called Healing is Easy, but the subtitle would be Remove the Fig Leaves. Remove the Fig Leaves. How many of you guys know that God's not into fig leaf Christianity? And so, um, you know, years ago, I was in a place called um, Avanigada, Andhra Pradesh, India. Has anybody been there before? I figured you had not been there before. It's about a 20-hour train or plane ride, and about uh, 8 to 12 hours train, I don't remember exactly, about another 8 hours by car, and 4 hours up the Krishna River to get to this place. And uh, in this particular crusade, it was literally the most unreached place I have ever been in the world. 98% of the people had never heard the name of Jesus one time. I'm not saying they hadn't heard the gospel. They literally had never heard the name of Jesus. And I remember going to this location thinking there is no way there's going to be anyone here by the time we get here. And the last night of the crusade, we had like 50, 60,000 people there because in India, there is people everywhere. And so for some reason, genius reason, I don't know why, we decided to bring all of our pastors in from all over the country of India, from churches that have been planted to train the pastors in evangelism and miracles. And uh, in that, in, in so literally there was no hotels there. So we put up these large tents and they're staying in the tents and we brought in our own cooks. And this was a big deal. Why we did it this place, I have no idea, but we did. And I got done preaching the first session in the morning of the pastor's conference. I had done three sessions. It was the last session. And I was preaching on healing the sick and raising the dead. And I had never raised anybody from the dead in my life, but I was preaching like I had. And so anyways, I get done with this and I'm walking off the stage. I'm exhausted, ready to go take a nap and get ready for the crusade that night. And one of our staff members in India comes over to me and they says, Brian, you got to come quickly. We've got a problem. There was an urgency in his voice. And so when I walked over to where this emergency was taking place, maybe 50 meters away, over by where the crusade grounds were at, by the stage, I walk up and there's a man that they had picked up his body and they put it in the back king cab of a truck and he was dead. It was one of our pastors. He'd had a massive heart attack. He, he was not feeling well in the meeting, got up, walked over towards the crusade grounds and fell over. Now, I know he was dead because in our crusades in India, we have two doctors or three doctors on staff that literally would begin to uh, question those who were going to testify they'd been healed in the crusade and test them out for integrity purposes. And so the doctors had tried to bring him back and they couldn't bring it. They had said, he's gone. I don't know how long this went on prior to them getting my attention to come. And uh, he had so gone that he had released himself. Now, I just got done preaching, raise the dead. I did not mean this to be an object lesson. I thought, dear Lord, you got to be kidding me. And I looked over at Suresh, who I was working with, who I worked with in India. And I said to Suresh, I go, what do you want me to do? And he goes, well, raise him from the dead. Oh, that's right. We just preached that Jesus said we could do these things. And so... You know, I, I began to rebuke the spirit of death. 
Nothing happened. I began to declare he would live and not die. He'd come back in Jesus' name. Nothing happened. I felt zero faith, no belief. I had nothing operating in me. The only thing I was experienced was fear. Has anybody been there before? Well, you know when you're experiencing fear and you're a mature enough Christian, what do we automatically go into? Emergency tongues. You know what I'm talking about, right? If you've been Pentecostal, you know what emergency tongues are. I am a sixth generation Pentecostal. My Aunt Jessie was reaching heaven with her hair. I know about this. She is in heaven today arguing with Jesus that she will not cut her hair still. I will guarantee it. This is fact. I mean, she was Pentecostal. No makeup. You guys know what I'm talking about? Cat eyeglasses and a mustache completely. That was my Aunt Jessie. And so here I am in, in this situation, and I'm, I mean, I'm praying in tongues. I don't feel nothing. I'm like, Lord, give me something. Do something. There is no faith involved. The only thing I am experiencing is unbelief. Everybody say unbelief. So based off everything that I've ever been taught in the church, shouldn't get any results. I'm going to challenge some thoughts today to you guys. I'm going to get you to understand that healing is easy and to quit question your faith so much. We preach faith to the point that we've made faith a larger mountain for people to overcome than the sickness and disease they're dealing with. We've taken the focus off of Jesus through our faith preaching and put the focus on ourselves. When faith is actually the result of being focused on Jesus. Are you guys with me? In our attempt to teach the principles of faith as a vehicle by which we operate in the kingdom, because that's all it is. It's a tool. We believe that we build people's faith by teaching those principles and we've gotten people's focus off the one who's the builder of our faith, Jesus. And then people, they don't question whether God can heal. Not most people. Some people will question whether it's God's will to heal, but in this group, I'm pretty for sure we don't have too many that would be that way. But there's a lot of people that question whether they have enough faith for God to heal them. And that's where the problem lies. I don't experience anything with this situation. I am in nothing but complete fear. And I've, been heard, I've heard my entire life that fear will negate faith. Listen, fear is not the opposite of faith. I want you to hear me out. Fear is not the opposite of faith because fear is just an emotion. Faith is a spiritual reality. Are you with me? What is the opposite of fear? Not faith. It, it's love. Because perfect love casts out all fear. And when our faith is focused on the one who loves us, then we overcome fear. Are you with me this morning? And so... In this situation, I'm doing everything I know to do. Nothing's happening. So finally, out of just desperation, I looked over to all the Indian staff that's around me. I said, well, where's the nearest hospital? I literally was just trying to get this problem away from me. I'm being real with you guys this morning because I didn't know what to do. And they said, well, the nearest hospital is about four hours away. I said, well, take him there. And I said, before, he, before you get there, in the name of Jesus, he'll come back. And believed not a word I said. See, 
He, they drove off, and I thought to myself, what did I just say, and why did I just say that? Do you know what happened about 15 minutes or 20 minutes down the road? They're driving him down the road. At this point, he's been gone for, you know, probably at least 45 minutes or more. And he begins coughing, and he begins spitting up. And all of a sudden, he comes back and doesn't know where he's at or what's going on. He comes back from the dead, and I had no faith for it. None that I was aware of. What? We're always wanting to question our faith based off our experience, not understanding that faith is not an experience. It's simply an agreement with God. Are you with me? This I, I'm challenged with some th thoughts this morning. It's an agreement with God. See, I didn't experience nothing, but I made an agreement with God. In other words, I agreed my will with God's will that God's best for him was not to fall over dead from a heart attack. It wasn't best for him. It wasn't best for his wife. It wasn't best for his children. It wasn't the character of God. It's not who God is. And I agreed with that. But I know it wasn't my great faith that brought this man back from the dead. And I'm sure it wasn't his because he was dead. <laughs> but he came back. And I began to realize there is some misunderstanding that we're having because if this was dependent upon me to make this place, this take place, dependent on my ability to believe God, my ability to have great faith, then somehow, some way, God went past that, that, that law that I believed in and he worked around me. And then I realized I'm just misunderstanding the whole law to begin with. God brought him back, not because of my great faith. He brought him back because he is a great God and he just got a willing vessel that would agree with his greatness instead of looking to what I could do. Are you guys with me this morning? Talk about a mind shift. See, I had to take off the fig leaves because even when it comes to believing God, we got a lot of fig leaf religion going on. A lot of, we got to cover ourselves. And prove to God that we're people who can really believe. What does believe even feel like? I've always wondered that. Because everything that I've ever seen God do big in our ministry, in our life, what God has done through it, it's always, it's never, I've never been in a place where I felt like it was really going to work. Does anybody relate to this? Yes. Yeah, I'm trying to help you out. We're going to take the pressure off. Everybody say, take the faith pressure off. Let's make this about Jesus. It's quiet in this Presbyterian church. <laughs> By the lake. Well, brother, I don't know if I agree with this. You've got to give me scripture for this. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1 through 5. Paul's there. Paul has just came from Athens, which he had his first failure in ministry. Paul, everywhere he went, when he'd go preach the gospel, the, the, the power of God was demonstrated. The churches were planted. He began to raise up leaders. Eventually, he raised up the school. Paul did not know failure. And over and over again, he preached Jesus Christ and him crucified. You look at his missionary journeys, and he just had success after success. I didn't say he didn't go through hard times. but he can, Of course, he went through persecution, but he always had success. He's in Athens, and that's where he preaches the unknown God. Very deep message. And they said, this is some strange things this guy's saying. And a few people believe but for the first time in Paul's life, he did not experience the type of success that he was used to experiencing. I always think about this. The early church didn't know what failure was like. They didn't even think about it. It was new to them. And so 
he comes, the very next place he comes after this is to the Corinthians. He goes to evangelize the Corinthians. And now he's already done this. He's established the church and he's writing the first letter. And it's like you can see Paul is going through this process of thinking about what he walked through on that journey to the Corinthians for the first time. And he's writing this letter to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. He says, when I first came to you, I came to you in much what? Fear and trembling. Well, why would he come in fear and trembling? Because he just had a failure. And he goes on, he says, but I determined. He's literally going through the process. I'm sure he was having this conversation with the Holy Spirit and asking God why or what something didn't work or what went wrong. And, And he says, but I determined to know nothing among you but Jesus Christ and him crucified. In other words, what Paul said was, is I'm going to get my mind off the fear and trembling thing. I'm also going to get back to preaching the message that works. I'm going back to preaching Jesus Christ and him crucified, not this fancy thing on the unknown God. Are you with me? And he goes on and he says, I determined on nothing but you and Jesus Christ crucified. So your faith would not be in the wisdom of what? Man. But be in the power and demonstration of what? The Holy Spirit. Because when you preach Jesus Christ and him crucified, guess what happens? There's power available to demonstrate who Jesus is. But here's what I want you to see. Fear, Paul did something what? Afraid. But he put his focus on Jesus. Over and over again, you can see in scriptures, early church didn't just operate in perfect faith all the time, but yet we have this idea, like for you to receive a miracle today, you better get it all right. Listen, folks, you didn't get saved on your faith. And ain't none of, one, none of you within your human reason that can believe in a virgin birth. If you can, they'd lock you up in institutes if they still did that. Are you with me? That's beyond human reasoning. No, you didn't get saved on your faith. You heard the message of the gospel and God deposited to you in your heart His faith to believe in something beyond your ability to believe anyways. And you and I don't even know why I believe this, but I believe this. It's called the conviction and calling and, and, and unction of the Holy Ghost that begin to pull you in. Do you remember that? It made no sense to you, but it didn't have to make sense. You just knew it. Why? Because Romans says that we were given the gift of faith. When did we get it? When you heard Jesus and Him crucified. And Ephesians 2.8 says that we were saved by grace through faith and that not of ourselves. that was a gift of God. What was a gift of God? Well, we know the grace was a gift of God, but so was the faith. You received that gift of faith to believe in something that you could not believe in within yourself. Aren't you glad about that? And Colossians tells us that as you receive the Lord Jesus, so walk in him. So if I received him by a deposit of his faith coming to me, it was a gift that I received from him. Now, everything that I walk out in this Christian life that's part of the new covenant that I now have every right to, guess what? It's still his faith operating in me. Well, if it's his faith operating in me, that means I don't have to judge my faith anymore. Good news. You've got enough faith today because you've got the faith of Christ on the inside of you. And it's a lot bigger than anything you're facing right now. Are you with me? But man, religion likes to, it likes to get us to think otherwise. We get it. You know, turn your Bibles, if you would, to Mark chapter 11. You guys with me this morning? I'm laying, setting you up. Mark chapter 11. Say, take the fig leaves off. We're going to start in verse 12. 
This is Jesus here. Now, I, I want to I challenge some things on Mark 11 that has been taught traditionally. And it doesn't mean that what's been taught traditionally is all wrong. I just want let me guys know that you can look at Scripture and there's different depths or different things that the Holy Spirit wants to bring out from Scripture. You guys understand that? You know, Mark 11 verse 12 says this. Now, the next day when they had come out from Bethany, he was hungry, speaking of Jesus. And in, uh, in, in seen from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, but, but it, was, it was not the season for figs. In response, Jesus said to let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And his disciples heard it. Now, I got a question for you guys. Jesus probably had a pretty good understanding of when it would be the season for figs. Would you agree with that? Here's the point. I don't think Jesus was about, the, about really eating anything. Jesus was very aware that that tree probably would not have figs on it. So was he just really upset that that tree didn't have figs on it, so he got upset and just cursed that tree? Jesus wasn't speaking to the natural there. He was speaking to something much deeper than that. Go over to Mark chapter 11, 23. Actually, Mark chapter 11, verse 20. Mark eleven twenty. 20. I want you to remember this. When, when in Genesis chapter 3, whenever the serpent came to tempt Adam and Eve, and I'm not going to go into a deep dive in this this morning, but when he came to, serp to, to, came to tempt them, he's, the temptation was this. For God knows the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open. You'll be like God. You guys remember this? Now, I don't know you guys in this church probably already know this. This is nothing new for you. But according to Genesis chapter 1, 26 through 28, Adam and Eve were already like God. They were, they were already created in God's image and His likeness, right? So the problem there that Eve had and the reason why we man even fell was an identity crisis. Eve either did not know because Adam didn't tell her, or she forgot that she was already created in the likeness and image of God. Her answer to the serpent should have been said, wait, I don't have to eat of something to be like God because I'm already like Him. This was the beginning of religion. Religion is man's attempt to become like God and to win his righteousness. King David said it like this in Psalm 17. He said, when I awaken with your likeness and I see your face in righteousness, my heart will be satisfied. So every man's desire is to, to have that identity with God that we were created to have and to have right standing with him. Can we agree with that? And religion is just man's attempt to win that over. Well, we see then, you know, I know that we forever thought that they ate of an apple. The Bible never says it was an apple. But we see that once they disobeyed God, for what was it they covered themselves up with? Fig leaves. This was the beginning of man-made religion and performance. So I'm convinced the tree that they went to, that the serpent, the serpent uh, was tempting them in, was not an apple tree. It was a fig tree. Are you with me? And they took the leaves off that very fig tree to cover themselves. Because now they were outside their identity in God and who He created them to be, and they didn't recognize it. So when Jesus said, curse the fig tree, He wasn't cursing the fig tree because it didn't have figs. He was cursing the fig tree because He said, never again will man's performance and religion be the way they approach God. He's saying that day is over. 
See, the one truth that the serpent said to them was, God knows the day you eat of it, you'll be like God, knowing the knowledge of good and evil. Because they had no knowledge of performance. It didn't exist in their mind. They didn't, have, they didn't have knowledge of being good to win God's approval, nor did they have any knowledge of not being good or being evil to lose His approval. The only thing they knew was they were just like God, fully approved, just in, in God's presence. That's all they knew. There was no question of that. And the tree that they were to eat of was the tree of life, which is the tree of Jesus. Are you with me this morning? So when Jesus says to them, or says to this tree, he, he knew it wasn't the season of figs. It was, in a sense, a prophetic act that Jesus was declaring that this religious system of man trying to win God's approval through some type of works or prove who they are to win his, to, to, to win his favor, it's done. It's over with. Well, let me tell you something. Even when we approach it in the area of faith that we're trying to prove to God that we have enough, he's not interested in that. When Jesus said it took the faith of a mustard seed to move a mountain, he meant it. He never said it took the faith of a mountain to prove to God you can move a mustard seed. Are you with me this morning? Man, take the pressure off. Healing is easy. So in Mark chapter 11, verse 20, let's read there. It says this. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus says to them, have faith in God. Or how about this? The, the original text really is have, or the meaning is have the God kind of faith. Have the God kind of faith. And Jesus says, have the God kind of faith. Verse 23. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain. Everybody say mountain. mountain. Say it again, mountain. mountain. What's the mountain? The mountain's performance to get God on your side and do something in your life is the fig tree mentality. It's thinking that you've got to approach God under a false pretense to prove that you're, you're worthy of His blessing instead of living in your identity. Are you with me? Now, certainly, that mountain can manifest all kinds of problems in our life. But the one thing that Satan has continued to be after in people's life is their identity. From Genesis chapter 3 on, that's what he's been after. We even see it in Luke chapter 4. When Jesus goes out into the desert to be fasted, Satan approaches him and says, If you are the Son of God, do these things. He was trying to get Jesus to fall for the same thing that Adam and Eve fell for. Over and over again, it is the same card he plays. The, 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 the doctor tells you you've got cancer and you've only got so many months to live. What is that? It's a challenge to who you really are. It's a challenge to your identity. You wake up in the morning dealing with autoimmune diseases. What is that? It is a challenge of who you really are. Because anybody who's actually understand, fully understand who they are in Christ, who Christ is in them, and the kingdom in which they live in, will begin to develop their heart to a place where they live in that reality over what you're experiencing. Listen, there's a difference between facts and truth. It's a fact you could be sick. It's a truth that God has redeemed you from it. Amen. And Jesus said, clearly, you shall know what? 
the truth. That word truth in the Greek is a reality. In other words, you'll know God's reality and his reality supersedes the fact of what you're dealing with and has the power to change it. So when Jesus cursed this fig tree, he said, no more will a man approach God based off a dead religion of winning his approval. Instead, we're going to approach God on Jesus Christ in him crucified. He said, that mountain will be removed. That's the mountain he's speaking of specifically. says this, truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, this mountain of men's religion, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes those things he says will come to pass and will be done for him. Verse 24, therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you received it and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. Here, I want to get to this. I do want to talk about this because this has created a lot of problems for people. How many of you guys read this before? I'm like, my gosh, is Jesus telling me if I don't forgive someone that he's not going to forgive me? Well, we know, we know that the, in, in, in the, once Jesus was resurrected, the epistles tell us that we are already forgiven. We love because we are loved. Are you following me? Never forget that the Gospels was a hybrid between the Old and New Covenant. It was a hybrid of telling you what was and what is now. But let me tell you, People don't operate in forgiveness for one another, for others when you don't understand how forgiven you are and you're still under men's performance. If I believe that I am still winning God's approval, then I can become a very self-righteous, angry Christian. You guys ever been to the zoo before? When you go to the zoo and you ever go look at the monkeys, what do they do? They do that too, but they pick things off of each other, Right? What is a monkey? Mo You'll see a monkey, monkey be the zoo, and here's what they do. It's a lot, this is, this is Christianity. This is figly Christianity. I got to pick this off of me. I got to pick this off of me. I'm going to get myself cleaned up. I'm looking at myself. And then we get all cleaned up and we feel all self-righteous and good about ourselves. And then we go over to the, they go over to the other monkey. Here, let me clean you up too. You're not quite good enough. It's monkey Christianity. <laughs> Are you with me this morning? Why? Because we've not removed the mountain. We're still trying to perform. In everything we do. I remember when I was in Bible college, they decided we were going to have revival on our campus. This was right after the whole Brownsville revival thing took place. Anybody remember that? Yeah, in our school, they're like, you know, we're going to have revival here. And like, you got to be at school 4 5 o'clock in the morning, and we're going to have prayer. And, you know, I went one Sunday or one morning, and, and the next morning I, I was like, man, my pillow looks a lot more comfortable than prayer. And so I remember we this was going on for months, and and the person leading this charge that was on staff, we were in chapel service, and, and uh, he said, I want everyone to stand up who's been coming to prayer. And I look over, and my roommate, who literally shares the same bedroom, he stands up thinking, that liar wasn't there. <laughs> but he felt the pressure. I'm looking across the thing like, what? Come on, man. Come on, Eric. I'm calling him out. Anyways, <laughs> he lives in Atlanta, too. He should have been here. Anyways. <laughs> But, but here's the thing, and, and I remember standing there, and I just sit there, because one thing about me, and my wife will tell you, is you're going to get what you get with me. There is no, I, I don't care. To a fault sometimes. And I'm just sitting there, and I remember this, this lady, she's like seven foot tall to me. She's got heels on, like the tallest lady. And, and she looks down at me, and she goes, you can't come to prayer for revival? Mm -hmm, you know, she goes, and you're in school to be in ministry. That lady, you know what, she... I'll never forget her face. She made me feel like this big. 
This is what religious does. This is what this mountain does. We don't, we don't forgive people because we don't believe we're forgiven. And when we don't believe we're forgiven, guess what? You're, it destroys your ability to trust that God's going to do something for you because it's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. And we know that according to Galatians, that faith works by love. It doesn't work by you walking in love. It works on knowing how much God loves you and how forgiven you are. That's how it works. And Jesus said, those who love much, those who are forgiven much, what? They love much. When we understand just how rotten and terrible we actually were and how much it took Jesus, what it took for the Father and from Jesus to do what he did to make you right before God, guess what happens? You begin to love other people much. So it's not God holding it back. It's our own heart holding it back because we're not confident in his goodness towards us. Say this, remove the mountain of man's performance. No more fig leaves. See, back to this man in India, I didn't even realize, here I was preaching the gospel, got a hold of the message of grace at 18 years old in my senior year in high school in, in preach and finish work, but yet when it came to seeing God move, somehow I still felt like it was up to me to get God to move. that I had to prove to God in everything I did. You know what's crazy about that man is he went to, they, did, they went ahead and took him to the hospital. That was the first, that was the morning it was going to be the first night of the crusade. He was back on the last night of the crusade and he had doctor documentation in hands because he'd have several massive heart attacks. And I can't remember what percentage of his heart was no longer working, but it was a large percentage. And in that documentation, they showed that he had a 100% functioning heart that not only God raised from the dead, gave him a brand new heart. And for years, when I would do a crusade in India, he would come with his documentation and he would testify in our crusades all over India. And it never failed, man. This guy would always knock on whatever place I'm staying in, whatever hotel in India, if there was one. The good news back then where we went was the hotel was, or motel was $5 a night. The bad news was why. Um, <laughs> and, and so... He would knock on it and he, he, I'd answer, he'd be on the phone with his wife and she, her broken English, she would always say, Brother Brian, we love you so much. Not only did God use you to spare my, my, my husband's life, but to spare my grief. I've never had the nerve to tell her, yeah, I didn't even think it was going to work. <laughs> so I'm like, you know, the one time I've seen somebody raised from the dead, I can't take any credit for it. Isn't that, isn't that good though? I can't, God raised the dead through my actions, working through me through a vessel, just because I gave him the chance. I just gave him the chance. That's all God needs from you. Will you give me, a, give me the opportunity? I wasn't going to tell this story, but I'm going to. We were in Dallas, Texas. And um, this was in January, I think, of this year. In a church in Dallas. And uh, there was a lady there. Her husband had gotten healed of some type of issue of his back. I don't remember. And Sunday night, I got done preaching. He would got healed Sunday morning. I got done preaching Sunday night. And she walked up to me and she said, I just don't think God can heal me. Now, as she's saying this to me, she's shaking violently. Her body, her, her limbs are shaking. She has no control over her body. And, I, and she said this, she goes, I just don't think God can heal me. And she goes, God healed my husband this morning. And it was a good miracle. It's something, I don't remember what it was, but it was a great testimony. 
And she goes, but I just don't think God can heal this. And I said, yeah, you're right. He probably can't. She was not expecting that answer from me. And she goes, excuse me? I said, yeah, he, he probably can't. I said, I don't know what you've got going on there, but it would probably take so much power for God to heal you that the lights in heaven would probably go out. <laughs> I honestly told her that. Evangelists, we're different. <laughs> and she goes, excuse me? And I said, I said ma'am, I'm just joking. I'm, I'm trying to get you to see how silly this idea is that God can't heal you. And I said, what do you got going on? She goes, well, I've got Parkinson's, and it was for over 15 years she'd had it, and it had become very violent. And so I told her this. I said, well, let me ask you this question. I said, um, will you do something for me? Will you go neutral? She goes, what do you mean by that? I said, instead of having a heart uh, position of I don't think God can heal me, can you just change your heart positions and, and let this be your prayer? God, I'll allow you to reveal your goodness to me. And she goes, well, I go, can you just give God the opportunity for him to show you who he is and what his character is? And she, she said, I can do that. I said, if you can do that, I can agree with you. I said, God doesn't need you to have great faith. Don't worry about it. But will you just give him the chance to reveal himself to you? She said, yeah, I can do it. So prayed for it. Nothing happened immediately. It was after the meeting and... Uh, we left. My wife and I went back to where we were staying. We get back to Tampa where we live. And about 10 days later, I get a text message from the pastor. He says, hey, Brian, wonderful testimony. I said, Chris, Pastor Chris, what's that? He says, remember the lady that you prayed for, which he didn't even know about. He wasn't there, but he found out about it. That had Parkinson's? I said, yes. He said, she's at the, she's at the uh, bank today filling out paperwork and writing for the first time because the Parkinson's is completely good after gone after 15 years. All she did was give God a chance. That's it. Take the fig leaves off. Rest. He just needs the opportunity to show you his goodness. Are you guys here this morning? I know this is a little challenging, isn't it? Because it, it, removes, it removes the performance of faith. Because we've accidentally, not on purpose, we've accidentally didn't even realize it, but made faith a tradition of man too. And Jesus said the tradition of man makes the word of God of no effect. Oh, we do, man. I've seen it for years, praying healing lines. Everybody walks up to me, boy, they, they, can, they can list every, all the faith principles and everything they've done. I mean, they keep, a, they keep a, you know, a, a diary of confessions and they keep a diary of walking in you know, outward holiness and righteousness. And can't ever get that person healed. It's the weirdest thing. And then I get somebody that walks off smelling like he's you know, been smoking and drinking and maybe you know, and just you can tell he ain't one of the regulars. And man, that guy gets healed immediately. Because he has nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. Say this with me. Remove the mountain. Let's go to Matthew 15, 21. I'm going to end here pretty quick. Matthew 15, 21. 
I'm going to read up here when they pull it up. We're going to go Matthew 15, 21. Sorry, I didn't give these guys the scriptures. Uh, verse 28. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying. Everybody say Canaanite. Canaanite. This is important to know this. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. Everybody say son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon, but he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, send her away, for she is crying out after us. I love the disciples so full of compassion. (laughs) I think they had not quite understood the whole forgiven grace thing yet. Hadn't got a hold of them. He answered, I was sent out only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Jesus, you can ignore this lady. Has anybody read this before that bugged you? Am I the only one that read this and be like, what in the world? Like, you remember back in the, you know, WWJD bracelet days? This is one of those things you would not want to do. What would Jesus do, you know? But she came, she came out, knelt before him and saying, Lord, help me. Now she says, help me. Remember before she said, son of David, have mercy on me. Now her, her cry is, Lord, help me. I just want you guys to put this all together for you in a minute. And he answered, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Jesus, seriously. He's calling this woman a dog. She said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, oh, woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. All right. What in the world was going on here? Everybody say this. Canaanite. This woman was not a Jewish lady. She was a Gentile, okay? And from that region, actually, the, the, the Jews considered those people dogs. So this was speaking to her, how she saw herself, what she told she was. When she came to Jesus, and this was her cry, O son of David, have mercy on me, that was something that only a Jew would say. That is not something a Gentile would say approaching God. So in other words, she was trying to convince God, Jesus, to do move on behalf of her daughter under the false pretense of being something she actually was not. Oh, we don't do that in Christianity. Lord, you follow me? She had on this very, she was definitely wearing fig leaves. She said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus ignores her. Why? Because if he would have healed her daughter under that false pretense, he would have only further established the belief in her heart that she was a dog, that God did not value her, and she had to pretend to be somebody she was not to get God to move in her life. Sounds like modern Christianity, doesn't it? Oh, we even even encourage it. We don't mean to. I could get in trouble for saying to some churches, I think I'm okay here. If you, if, you know, if you want God to move in your life, sow a seed. How many of you guys believe? I believe in sowing seeds. But my motive is because God already moved in my life. Are you with me? I'm not paying God off. He's not the Godfather. He's Father God. There's not going to be a horse's head in your bed. I promise. We get, we get Father God mixed up with a Godfather in some places, I think. Oh, if you don't pay tithes, God's going to take it out in your car. Oh, I'm going I'm to get in trouble with somebody online for saying this, pastors who watch this. Do you know why I think most people who tithe all the time are still broke and poor? 
because they're doing so from a law performance. And Paul said, if you, broke, if you don't keep the entire law, 613 of them, then you're, you're cursed. When you start tithing out identity, that's when it begins to work. I don't tithe. We don't tithe because we're getting God off our back. We tithe because God is in our favor. Are you with me? This is already who we are. So here she is, false pretense. Jesus said to her, what was he doing? He was trying to get her to get real about who she thought she was so he could change her thought about who she was and move on her behalf. He, he just needed a chance. That's why he said, hey, I came for the lost sheep of Israel. In other words, he's saying, hey, your act's up. I know who you are. You can't convince me otherwise. So then she says, yes, Lord, help me. Jesus said, yeah. But, uh, you know, he calls her a dog. And then she gets real, real and says, but even the dog eats the bread that falls, crumbs that falls from the table. And he says, great is your faith. Why? Because now her faith was not in what she had to prove to God or convince him of. But her faith was in that God was a good God who wanted to deliver her daughter. Are you with me this morning? Come on, is this helping anyone this morning? Either the wheels are turning this morning or I'm making no sense. Because I feel like I got a vision right now. Paralysis of the face. The whole place come up here and Jesus. No, just a joke. Actually, it's not true. You guys smile. I've been some places they don't smile. Say this with me. Healing is easy. Mark chapter 9, we won't turn there, but I'll just remind you of this. You guys remember when Jesus came out from Mount Transfiguration? He walks off that mountain. The glory of God is shining out of him. This is the second time, according to Scripture, somebody came off a mountain with the glory of God on them. First time was Mount Sinai. The glory of God was shining on Moses. They said they had to cover, the Bible says they had to cover his face with a veil. They could not look at Moses. Everybody say God's view and opinion. One of the definitions of glory, both in the Hebrew and the Greek, is God's view and opinion. When Moses came off of Mount Sinai, the view and opinion was people were guilty. They were unworthy. They couldn't measure up. And we know over the next few th- days, 3,000 people die because the law kills. Jesus, by the way, when the Holy Ghost was given, which is a picture of the new covenant, it is the new covenant, changed from the inside out. And Peter got up and preached on the day of Pentecost. How many people were added? 3,000 because the Spirit gives life. And so here's Jesus come off of Mount Transfiguration. Now this glory is not shining on Jesus because this glory came from within because the glory of God in the new covenant is not something that abides on us. It's something that lives in us. Are you with me? Aren't you glad about that? You don't have to chase the glory. The glory is on the inside of you. And so anyways, this glory comes and it says the people see him and they see this glory in Jesus. And it says the crowd runs to him. Why? Because God's view and opinion of the new covenant is that you're, you're loved, you're accepted. As Romans says, it's the goodness of God that draws people into repentance. So they see Jesus. They don't run away. They're drawn to this glory because they see God's love. Are you with me this morning? And so here's this picture where Jesus comes off this mountain, and Jesus is so polite in the situation. He walks up, and he sees a big crowd there, and he says to the people around him, he goes, man, what's going on here? And this man speaks up, and he says this to him. He says, I spoke to your disciples that they should cast this devil out of my son, but they could not. Everybody say spoke. Now, this is not language of me coming for help. This is language of I challenge. Pastor Clint, have you ever had anyone show up in a healing line and try to challenge you? 
I have. Yeah. Of course, I do this all the time. Like they'll walk up and give you like 25 diseases you've never heard of. And they'll put a big smile on their face and go, what are you going to do with that? And I'm like, nothing. Sit down. I've literally told a man, sit down. I, I, in, in Phoenix, Arizona, I mean, in front, he, big man too, tall man. And he, he just, what are you going to do with that? I said, I can't do nothing because I can't minister to you when you won't give me the authority to do so. What you don't honor, you can't receive from. And so anyways, he goes and sits down and in and, and that meeting, by the way, that was five nights. By the last night he came up and he received a healing. I don't remember what it was, but he got a different heart attitude. But here's the situation. These, 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 uh, this, this father comes to Jesus or comes to the disciples. I spoke to the disciples that they should cast it out, but they cannot. Now, we don't know whether he was part of the religious crowd that was there, but we know he's at least been influenced with them because the whole group is there. Now, I want you to think about this. The disciples were not novices. They had already cast out devils. They'd already went two by two and healed the sick. They came back to Jesus and they said, man, even the devils are subject to, you, to us in your name. And he's like, you kidding me? That's not even a big deal. Don't care about that. You should celebrate because your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. He's like, that's not even a big deal. So here they are now not having results when they've had results. And so Jesus begins to conduct an interview. He says, how, how long has this been going on? Now, he doesn't deal with the disciples at this moment. He doesn't even deal with the demon-possessed boy. He talks to the father. He says, how long has this been going on? Because Jesus knew where, this, where the problem was at. So the father says, well, for many years, he both does this and throws him in the water and tries to drown him in the fire. And he begins to manifest. This devil begins to manifest in this moment in this boy. Jesus ignores the devil. You know, most of us, including myself, many times the first thing we do is jump in the middle of that devil and try to cast it out. Well, some of us, the rest of y'all be running out of here going, I got no, I'm out of here. <laughs> this is what happens. The father now has a heart change and he says, he doesn't say to Jesus, hey, you should cast this out. He says, if you can do anything, help me. Remember? Mark chapter 9. Jesus then says this response. He says, if you can believe, all things are possible to those who what? And we preach this and we get all excited and they play the music and the big conferences and everybody dances and jumps if you've been in charismatic Pentecostal world. And then people are sitting in their chairs or they're dancing. They're going, I've been believing for 35 years and I'm still suffering. And people go, oh, I'm trying. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Yes. But read the rest of the story. The father gets very real with Jesus. Say, take the fig leaves off. Man, it's good to be real with God because he already knows anyways. And his response to Jesus is, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And at that moment, Jesus sits down with him pulls out his Bible and his tablet and he gives him 10 steps to have greater faith. <laughs> or he preaches a message of why he can't be healed yet because of his unbelief. No, what does Jesus do? He delivers the boy. Because Jesus didn't need the father to have great faith. He just needed the father to give him permission 
to do it. That's what God's looking for. And I've got a challenge for you. I believe the greatest level of faith is just giving God permission to show us how good He is. Just give Him permission. That's all He needs. Well, God's God. He can just do what He wants. Well, He obviously can't do what you don't give Him permission to do. Jesus delivers that boy. And when the disciples later say, why couldn't we cast it out? And he said, this comes up through prayer and fasting. He wasn't saying we needed some super size power to cast out this devil. First of all, Jesus cast out the devil before he was defeated. So now we've got a defeated devil. Satan's been stripped of his authority. He's no longer the ruler of the world. Jesus took it back and gave it to the church. But what I do believe Jesus was saying to the disciples was is, it was your lack of discernment of knowing what was going on and how to handle this. God wants to make Himself real to you this morning. Because if He can make Himself real to you, that, in, that empowers you to go out and make Him real to somebody else. Are you with me? Say this with me. Healing is easy. You don't have to wear the fig leaves, not even the faith ones. I, I love the message of faith. Please don't misunderstand it. I just feel like we've, we need to bring it back and correct it to where it is actually biblical. And it's not become another source of tradition and difficult works. And get back and understand that faith is simply believing and trusting in His goodness. Faith is believing in His grace. And everything you receive by God is because of His grace. He's not, here's, here's what I want you to see. Listen to me. Everybody listen very carefully. God and Jesus are not on the throne having a conversation about your level of faith and whether they want to move in your life or not. Right. He's not judging your faith. Are you glad about that? He's not. You right now, can receive whatever you need from God by just giving Him a chance. Is there somebody here? I had this during worship. Is there somebody here? I don't even know what this means. I, I, it's like I saw, and I don't normally get visions. This is very rare for me. So there must be something going on here with Pastor Clint. But, um, but um, I know how he got saved in his story, so I guess that's what it was. But anyways, is there somebody here that down your spine, it's almost like there's calcium buildups. Does that make sense? I, it's just what I saw, and I saw all the way down the spine. Who got a little pain? Who is that? Somebody here. Don't. Maybe it's somebody online, but I really believe it's somebody in the room. Is that anybody here like that? I don't know. If calcium buildup is the right thing to say, but it was almost like, like uh, not. It wasn't. It, it, I don't think it was bulging disc, but it was like um, something just sticking out several things down your spine. Is anybody like that this morning? You guys go ahead and stand up your feet. We're going to minister for a minute. I'm going to give you a second. Please do me a favor. Don't walk to me after the service and say that was me. Let's pray for it right now if that's you. Okay. It's somebody here. It's somebody here. Yeah. And they don't, you don't want to raise your hand. Yeah. It's, God wants to heal you. He's going to, he's going to reveal his goodness to you right now. I mean, I literally saw this during worship. It just. Who is that? Yeah. Who is that? Amen. Praise your Lord. Yeah. 
Yeah. I, I don't know if that's what it was. I'm guessing, okay? I can't explain what I saw. She thinks it's her son. She's okay. going to get him. He's back in the... Okay, okay. We'll pray for you too, okay? Yeah, give me just a second. Yeah, but I saw... Yes, sir? Your spine? Do you have that something like that? Okay, come on up here. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Also, um, is there someone here? And again, I don't know. It's like a fatty tissue... And, and it's causing you a lot of pain. It's, it's kind of right back here in your rear delt area, in your shoulder. Who is that? I, there's a lot of pain right here. Just come on up here. That's something I saw as well, too. It was the weirdest thing seeing things. Usually I just get it. Yeah, don't, don't get nervous in the service, all right? <laughs> Who is that? Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Let's just wait on the Holy Ghost for a minute. Amen. You can go ahead and bring him up here. Yep, yep. It's okay. Don't worry. I'm not going to. Thank you. And you, you can go ahead and come up here too. We'll pray for you too. Because I could have. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Also, uh, uh, partial detached retina. Who is that? Come on up here. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let's just stay in tune with the Holy Ghost. Amen. Hallelujah. Say it with me. Healing, Healing. is easy. Healing. No false pretense. Amen. God is not judging your faith this morning. He's not. I'm so glad about that, aren't you? You know what faith really Faith is just, just even if you feel fearful, just keep moving forward. Just keep going forward. Amen. That's what Paul did. Just give him a chance. That's all he needs. You know, one of the way, when that father said, Lord, help my, un I believe, help my unbelief. You know, one good way that Jesus helped his unbelief was he healed a son. Once he healed a son, guess what? The unbelief was gone. Well, that's not faith. Well, oh, well, it worked anyways. <laughs> Amen. You know, everybody, everybody uh, gives Doubting Thomas a, a, a hard time, but you know what? God moved in his life in such a way that it changed his life. Are, are you, are, I think sometimes we just, we can get just so hard about things on people and not realize that God's after your heart. He wants, he wants your heart. He's not after your perfection. He's such a good God. I'd love to get up here and just tell you it was my faith that man was raised from the dead. Praise God. No. It was God's goodness. And I love that actually. That I don't get to take credit for anything. As scripture says that no flesh will glory. We'll glory in the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. 